But yeah, so moving tomorrow. Big, exciting, nervous. Not tomorrow. Sunday. Two days, but still. And man, I hate moving. Yep. Even if I had half the stuff that I have, I hate moving. It's just such a pain in the ass. I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I think if you had... Well, I mean... I did. Never I mean, mind. when I, when you, I moved... You in, having half the stuff is probably still more stuff than me. I mean, when I moved into the my first apartment, or even the the house that I shared with everybody, and I was just moving, like, my bedroom furniture in there, it was still, like, I fucking hate moving. It's not, so I mean, work. moving sucks, period. But, I mean, like, I imagine it's a lot worse when you have a lot of things. Oh, yeah. It's definitely like, not easier. It's definitely not better, but... I I cannot. <laughs> like, <laughs> I will have the minimal amount of things. I Like, I still have stuff. Yeah. I'm just not... I can't. I can't keep buying things. Usually when I buy something, I get rid of something. Yeah. Oh, I finally bought new shoes. Oh, good. And what'd you get? I got Vans. They were on sale. Um, I got the lightning bolt ones that I sent oh, okay. you. I, th- I thought you were going to get those pastel ones that you sent me. So the shoes that I need to replace are black. So I figured that I probably should replace them with black shoes because I kind of, I have white shoes. So it makes sense uh-huh. to have like the two. And Vans was I- doing a big sale on the shoes. And then they were doing a sale on top of that if you like signed up for their program thing for free. Uh-huh. And I was like, yes, I would like these shoes for, you know, 50% off instead of 20% off. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I can't stand trying to find yarn in the middle of the ball. I just need to make my own ball. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I will be crocheting during this episode because I have a lot of Christmas presents to catch up on. No, you're good. Um, did you finish your... T- or did you uh, decide no. to redo it? Uh, I have not had time to redo it yet, but I am thinking about it. Right now I'm going to work on a different thing. It's uh, orange. Do I need to cut out that I said? Uh, yeah, maybe. Okay. So a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> did you finish working on your beep, or did you change to something else? <laughs> All right. Welcome to the strange and unusual, where we discuss the strange and unusual. This is episode one hundred and seventy-three of our series, seeking out the weird, the unexplained, and the devious from around the world. I'm Roya, and I'm Casey. And this week, I'm going to cover a restaurant-centered crime because Patreon voted on it. The Chuck E. Cheese murders. Um, as always, if you would like to join the ilk on Patreon and decide what we talk about, or vote on the choices that we provide, rather, um, you can do so at patreon.com slash strangeunusual. We've got, like I said, polls. We've got some old um, bonus content. We've got access to our Discord and all for the low, low price at $2 a month. So it's real reasonable. Um, and we are also on all, basically all the social media, Instagram, X, Facebook, threads, um, at some iteration of the Strange and Unusual podcast. And all that will be at the end of the episode, um, in further detail as well as in the show notes. So you can come and check us out. Come on and be a sassy squatch <laughs> on Patreon. Man, so I'm obsessed with how those little fucking goblin aliens look. I'm in love with them. Yeah. They're so cute. I keep look I had I had their picture pulled up and I was closing out of closing out of tabs and I was like, Oh look at that little guy. Look at that little guy. Yeah. I love that I found an Amagurumi of them. Like I wanna make one now. <laughs> yeah. Alright. It might be that might be a for me after the after the crochet apocalypse. Yeah. 
Although I think what I am going to do is work on granny squares and making a blanket because I would like to make a blanket maybe. Yeah, I have a bunch. We were packing in my sewing room and we found all of my t-shirt squares. So I want to do a t-shirt quilt. I've done one of those. And uh, put it together for either the couch or the bed. I had to. I'm thinking about doing another one because I did one for uh, my roommate for with all my old Doctor Who t-shirts. Uh-huh. And uh, so now I'm like, I have all these t-shirts. I don't really wear graphic tees anymore. I feel like a grown-up. Like, I just wear black now. <laughs> it's just black all the time. So I was like, I have some t-shirts I really love, but I just don't go really with what them. I wear now. Yeah. So, like, if I could just make them into a blanket. And I've done it, so I know I can do it. Yeah. Um, just gotta buy the interfacing and the, the backing and be good. Yeah. Um, mine were just a lot of t-shirts that I, like, didn't fit me anymore or had a hole or, like, a stain or something like that. Um, but I, yeah, I've stopped wearing a lot of graphic t-shirts as well. Um, I still have some, but they're, like, from specific artists and stuff like that versus, like, Public or, you know, Yeti or whatever company is doing them now. You got your no-step please. Yeah. I want to know how that goes over in Oklahoma. <laughs> I haven't had any issues with it so far. Love that. But I keep uh, I keep thinking about um, buying one of the Arabic, um, what are they called? The kefions? The oh, scarves? yeah. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the scarf thing. Yeah. And wearing AJ that has one. And seeing how that goes over, especially at my work. <laughs> AJ has one. It's, he never called it that because I got it shamach that's what i think he called his but he also went to a different country yeah so that i can't know about other than i know he went somewhere (laughs) (laughs) but his is like it's the same style it's just a darker gray yeah same pattern yeah shamach yeah because it's uh i don't know where oh but it is a it is technically a kefier it's just uh the shamach specifically is one that's worn by priests so I think he just has the the names, you know, confuddled like a white boy. Maybe. But but uh, no, that was one of the things that he took away when he was over there. He's like, it's great. You put it on your head. You could put it around your neck. Like, it keeps you protected. I love it. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason why every Arabic country wears them. Yep. <laughs> it's because they do their job. One of the big things I remember him telling me was that where he was, people were eating onions like apples. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> also, if anybody was wondering, Free Palestine. Oh, yeah. We should probably say that. I don't want to have a Brittany Broski moment of... <laughs> in, in the occupation. Yeah. Free Palestine. Uh, we the, are not anti-Semitic. the river to the sea. We, <laughs> we still support our Jewish brethren, yeah. but we are not pro-Zionist here. Exactly. Any type of Zionist. Nope. Zionist. Like... <laughs> I feel like there's space now for, like, Zionist punks fuck off. Right? Okay. <laughs> but yes, don't don't put in that line. I don't want to get canceled. <laughs> we were talking Okay, I this is off topic and I don't want to keep, you know, distracting from the episode, but we were talking the other day about how like I would never want to be an influencer now. And like the idea of like I was trying to be streaming, I was trying to be like a TTRPG influencer type person for like, you know, a year. And now I'm like I would never want that responsibility. Yeah. I don't want to be under anybody's microscope. Um, I wish I had a platform to do good things, but I know that, like, we were talking about Brittany Broski, like, I can see the nuance in that, right? So, like, her defense was that 
she's a white woman. She was trying to make space for voices of color, basically. And she didn't, she's like, what dystopian nightmare are we in when I'm a, just like some nobody from Texas and you're expecting me to make some grand uh, commentary on a something I was political never taught, issue. Something I was never taught about. Right. But at the same time, everybody else is like, you have a platform, whether you like it or not, and you need to speak out about this humanitarian fucking crisis. And I'm like, I see both sides, man. I see both sides. Or, or, I'm glad it's not me. And and Or try to get somebody on your show that can speak yeah. to it, you know? Or like, at least, at the very least, say, I'm still learning about this myself. Here are some resources that I've been using to learn about this situation. Free Palestine. Yeah. Like, and not just to say that you are you're trying trying not just be silent on the issue and that you're not yeah. on the wrong side of history like amy fucking schumer oh wow god all these white women with their blonde hair and their blue eyes sorry no you're right though <laughs> i'm not disagreeing i would just say be careful when editing this part <laughs> i will i'll make sure to listen to it um. thank you <laughs> I was like, I was so worried. I was thinking about yes, last week's episode. Like, did I say anything? Did I say anything? No, I that could I, be. I tend to, I tend to keep a pretty good memory of things that were like immediately, like we need to take that out or we need to fix that kind of thing. And if okay. I remember it, I go back and I do listen to them. Like, even if it makes it late, I'll go back and listen to it. But I couldn't remember anything being too wild on that one. We d- we did talk some shit about rednecks, I think, but. They rednecks. rednecks have a you know hillbillies and rednecks i gotta say rednecks are, are different the, than hillbillies yeah like the old like outlaw country guys i want them back right i want my shiners and my <laughs> my like we're gonna wreck this coal miner owners or coal mine owner's house because he's not paying us i want those guys back yeah not whatever we have now we're certain there's still outlaw country and it is getting uh repopularized by the Look, right my people. husband my husband wants to buy a banjo i know that they're there it's just but but importantly like, by, where... by the right people not by yeah the tribe in a small town or whatever bullshit oh my god that guy needs to touch grass <laughs> that guy's from macon fucking georgia a fucking suburb of yeah. atlanta try it in a small town yeah try living in a small town bro yeah let me know okay, what you sorry. do no, you're fine. We've got a lot of feelings to get out. We do. <laughs> a lot? A lot has happened, okay? <laughs> a lot more information has come out. A lot of things Some shit have changed. has come to light. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my um, favorite movies. But yeah, if you came to a podcast that's being led by Casey and myself and thought that we weren't going to be pro-Palestine, you're in the wrong area. I'm so sorry find yeah. another podcast that's not changing there's literally nothing that could come out in the news right now that would change my stance on this <laughs> accurate uh but yeah so <laughs> episode uh we was yeah. murder uh does. and then um some death penalty conversation um just a little bit on you know do we think it's right do we think it's wrong stance on it suggestion of uh digestible information on it um so on december 14th 1993 when casey and i were but we children Mm -hmm. there was a chuck e cheese restaurant that was closing up for the night in aurora colorado 
what is with aurora colorado colorado in general but yeah aurora i was like come on you poor guys there was a whole section of this that i kind of cut out because it didn't end up having much to do with the case but it was talking about how like in um the late 80s and early 90s there was this like huge uptick in violent crimes and um a lot of them, a lot of the big boom was for some reason centered in Colorado. And like, they don't really know what happened, but they put in, they implemented a lot of reform into Colorado, an actual reform, not like pretend reform, and basically fixed all the issues, which is why Colorado is now not nearly as dangerous as it used to be in general, comparatively speaking to the rest of the US. You know. Huh. Um... But yeah, like, they actually implemented, like, maybe instead of sending drug addicts to prison for nonviolent offenses, we send them to get rehabilitated. Maybe. Maybe instead of, you know, putting people on death row for a violent drug-related crime, we don't do that. Instead, we <laughs> look for alternatives yeah. on how to help them. Um and a lot of really good reform came out of Colorado around this time period because of the district attorney, and then in, he became, I think, the governor later. Um, but yeah, so Chuck E. Cheese, Aurora, Colorado, December 14th, 1993. It was around 10 p.m., and they were finishing up their nightly duties, vacuuming, doing the books, and preparing for the shift that would come in the morning. A birthday party had kept them open later uh, than normal, and the night shift manager, Margaret Kohlberg, knew that her younger staff were antsy to be off work. They all had lives they needed to get to. Some had school the next day. Margaret herself was a mother of two. Um, Sylvia Crawwell was cleaning up the salad bar, um, and she had just seen a co-worker and friend off for the night who had been working at the Chuck E. Cheese. Basically, they had said their goodbyes, and then Sylvia went back to work. Ben Grant was a 17-year-old junior in high school who was vacuuming up all the gross remnants that the children left behind for the day. And Colleen O'Connor was also a 17-year-old junior in high school who was admittedly a little distracted by receiving some good news. She had called her parents on her last break a few hours earlier and found out that they were getting her a car, which was a huge deal at the time. That's awesome. Uh, 20-year-old Bobby Stevens was in the kitchen working on the dishes, hoping to get out of there soon. He hadn't been scheduled to work the shift either. He just needed a little extra cash, which was very relatable, so he grabbed the extra shift. Me last night. They were all so busy working and trying to get out of there that they didn't even see him coming until it was too late. No, it's Freddy! (laughs) First, Sylvia was shot behind her left ear with a twenty-five Jesus caliber handgun. Okay, no, that got really serious really fast, and I'm really sorry that I made that joke. Yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, then Ben, who wasn't far away but couldn't hear the vacuum or couldn't hear the shot over the vacuum because it was an industrial vacuum and the cacophony of noises happening already in the restaurant to begin with, he couldn't hear the gunshot, the first gunshot. So he was on the floor next. Colleen mm. saw him coming though, and fell to her knees, begging for him not to kill her, but he didn't listen, and laid her out third. Then the intruder moved into the kitchen where he met Bobby Steven. At first, Bobby was startled to see somebody he didn't know in the kitchen, but moved to be friendly and say hello, ask what he needed, but then the gun was lifted and sent Bobby sprawling to the ground. 
Then the assailant moved into the office where Margaret was finishing the evening's receipts, and she was ordered to open the safe, which she did. That didn't save her, and she joined the other four victims. Her attacker grabbed her purse, filled it with $1,591, game tokens, keychains, and cards before leaving. Wow. To kill that many people for that little of a... Not that anything is worth it, but yeah, for not even two grand. And like the thing too is mm. that, not saying that anybody should have died here, but he's armed. These are two 17-year-old kids, a 20-year-old. Yeah, absolutely. Like, he probably could have gotten through all the way to the kitchen before anyone even saw him. Like, they are so busy working, cleaning, talking, vacuum going, arcade machines going, all this stuff. He really didn't probably need to kill any of them. Um, so it yeah. didn't it didn't take long before he before the police found a good lead. Nineteen uh, year old Nathan Dunlap. The investigators heard that he had had dinner at the restaurant, and when they met with him, despite his efforts, were able to confirm gunpowder residue on his hand. So wait, hold on. This nineteen year old was just chilling and eating at Chuck E. T's. Yeah, we can get some more information in a little bit. Okay. Mm hmm. Um, so the case was getting national news as the newly elected president, Bill Clinton, used it as a means to reinforce his new tough-on-crime message, despite having spent his whole time as a state lawyer being against the death penalty. Um, but it also meant that it made it basically impossible to try the case in Aurora as a result. They weren't going to get a fair trial there. There were no yeah. impartial jurors. Um, eventually, when we do Charles Manson, we'll have a similar conversation. I mean, we're having that conversation right now with um, Chad Daybell, actually. Yeah. If everybody, if anybody's still keeping track, which I am, uh, they're actually trying to move the case back to um, East Idaho because of... How things went in Ada County with Lori. Sorry, not no, to uh, not to take over your episode. <laughs> um, so the case got moved to Colorado Springs to be tried by prosecutor Jim Peters, and Dunlop was appointed Forrest Bookie Lewis and Stephen Gale to defend him. Those attorneys had already won life without parole convictions for clients in the past and seemed to understand their job was to persuade the jury that there was reasonable doubt as well as secure the most lenient sentence possible. Jim Peters came with a remarkably strong case against Dunlap. The evidence was absolutely overwhelming, including a surprise. Bobby Stevens had survived the attack. (gasps) Bobby He testified that there was no doubt in his mind that Dunlap had killed his co-workers. He was the only one to have seen him directly face to face. Um, So basically what they explained is that uh, the gun was toward his face and it hit his, it went in his cheek and then down and hit his jaw and went out. And then he just fell and then he just pretended to be dead until the police, yeah. Um, until the police, I mean, Slash might have been fully unconscious, honestly. Um, That's, yeah. And he, he, ex- he described it, I didn't write it down, but I should have. He described it as feeling like, um, it started feeling like a cigarette burn first. and oh, then fascinating. And then the pain, like, ripped through. So it was like someone took something really, really hot and, like, pushed it against his face and then uh-huh. pulled it down through his jaw. Ouch. 
That sounds terrible. I yeah. would not recommend. Yeah, would not recommend. Um, so they displayed pictures of the bodies, uh, brought in the coroner to talk about the wounds and what bullets do to skulls and brains as they're pierced using styrofoam model heads and rods to show the routes of the bullet. Um, they even turned on the vacuum to let the jury hear how loud it was. How Dunlap could have very easily gone past two of the victims without being heard due to the volume. Um, Peters presented Dunlap's criminal history, explaining that this wasn't the first crime he'd committed. Um, at 15, he'd committed several robberies, first with a golf club before later using guns. He ended up in juvenile court with a chance to turn his life around, but didn't. He started selling drugs and hanging out with wannabe gang members that started robbing places for cash. In 93 alone, he was arrested five times for misdemeanors prior to the Chuck E. Cheese crime. Wow. Uh, He's on a roll. Yeah, and this is all, he's just 19. Yeah. The final nail in the case was Dunlap's own words because he had basically told anyone who would listen that he had killed the people in the Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, well really smart thing to do yes yeah, so was the only motive money <clears throat> i bet it was a woman i bet it was a, a lady involved is my guess he went into the Chuck E. cheese ordered a ham and cheese sandwich which i guess they had sandwiches um played a video Hold game on. i need to look at the Chuck E. cheese menu now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know what they had in 93 um i only ever got I pizza to, i have to face my fears and look at this fucking rat <laughs> Um, so he, he got the ham and cheese sandwich, he played a video game, and then he hid in a bathroom until closing. Mm. Then he revealed himself and executed four people because he'd been fired from his job oh. at that restaurant a few months earlier. And that's how the other guy knew exactly who it was? So the other guy, so, so, um... Bobby, Bobby Yeah, Bobby Stevens. So he knew him, he, because he turned around to face him. Right, and but I was like, did he know him from working with him? No, he was able to identify him. From... Okay. I wasn't sure if maybe he was like, oh yeah, that motherfucker, he was fired. No, no one, it, from what I could find, no one knew him on okay. this shift. So I don't know if it was a night shift versus day shift thing, or if all these people were new enough that they didn't work with Nathan Dunlap. Okay. But it doesn't seem, there. I didn't find anything saying that any of them knew who he was. Okay. That's what I was wondering. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so Lewis and Gail, who were Dunlap's uh, attorneys, did not call a single witness. Oh, shit. That's bold of them. They did not even have anyone testify on their behalf. On okay. February, February 26th, 1996, the jury took three and a half hours to find Dunlap guilty. Yeah, as you do. Yeah. Um, Peters needed one aggravating factor to argue for the death penalty, and he presented 28. Oh. Uh, the defense's job was to convince just one jury member not to go for the death penalty, to hang the jury. Uh, Dunlap, yeah. so Dunlap came from a troubled home growing up, as they often, unfortunately, um, yeah. often do. Uh, both he and his older sister, Adenia, had been abused by both of their parents. Um, Dunlap, for example, had been thrown down a flight of stairs, uh, threatened to be beaten with heavy metal objects. Um, his father had been found beating his son violently in a Burger King bathroom and Ooh. slamming a young Dunlap into a lock. He also came home. Huh? 
I was like, like a literal bully. Yeah. He also came home one day to find his father sexually assaulting his older sister. And after oh. that, Adinia uh, said that the abuse inflicted on Nathan just got worse by their father. <sighs> then at 15, he was told by a social worker that the man he'd known as his, as his father was not actually his biological <gasps> father. Stop. Yeah. So he was just getting beat by this dude for nothing? I mean, parents, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, obviously not a good reason to beat a child at all, ever, but, like, but, not yeah, even your own fucking kid. Yeah, not even actually his biological father. Um, so all of this was stated for the jury, but there were no witnesses called to assign meaning to the story to explain that reports indicate an exposure to violence at a young age increases the possibility of violence in adolescence by up to 40%. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. Yeah. All the jury heard was a sad story, but lots of people have sad stories. The defense closed with not a very good defensive line of thought. Forrest Lewis said, quote, How can anyone be so cold? How can anyone be so cruel? What what road can anyone go down that could take them to the point that they could make the choices that were made at check? Still, I don't know. If you choose to kill my client under the facts of this case, I will respect your decision and you will hear not one word of criticism of you from me. End quote. What? Yeah. What a shitty lawyer. Right? That kid needed... Better lawyers. That that kid needed a lot of things. Yeah, I'm not saying that he was not guilty. (laughs) Yeah. But... But what a... Like, nobody advocated for this. If this is true. If this is true. Nobody advocated for that kid for his whole fucking life. And then his lawyers didn't even show up for him. Yep. Wow. Um, Poor kid. I mean, don't fucking kill people. But also, poor kid. Yeah. It's one of those, like, not much of a chance, really, kind of situations. Which is always the saddest to me. Um, So then the victims and families' impact statements were started. Uh, One of Margaret's daughters said, quote, Nathan Dunlap killed us all. We just didn't die. End quote. Um, Ben Grant's mother called in because she had moved states needing to just get away from everything that had happened. Um, She said, quote, maybe now you understand the fear that was in my son's eyes when you pointed a gun at his head. End quote. Mm. Uh, Over the course of the victim impact statements, something seemed to just break in Nathan Dunlap. And he began to sob uncontrollably, saying, quote, Kill me right now. I've had enough of this motherfucking shit. You can take me to the motherfucking little chair and do what the fuck you want. End quote. Uh, Dunlap was given two death sentences for every life he'd taken. Damn. Um, the officers that were at the prison where Dunlap had been taken had decided to take up taunting him about his death sentence. Uh, like on October set, uh, October 13th, 1997, when Gary Lee Davis was being put to death, who was incidentally the first man who had been put to death in Colorado for 30 years. Um, the guards reminded him what was waiting for him, and this appeared to have caused another manic breakdown, and the doctors realized he needed a mental health diagnosis. You don't say, yeah. bro. So Nathan Dunlap was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. The doctors started to piece together things, though, other manic episodes that had happened over his time in prison and through communication with his sister over his entire life. Um, He was taken to the Colorado Mental Health Institute in Pueblo, 
and the defense expert found that during his stay, he showed signs of psychosis at least 10% of the time. Wowza. Yeah, but the state's doctor was convinced that Dunlap was faking it and told the court similarly. The decision- The justice system is broken. Yeah. It just gets worse, too. Don't say that to me. <laughs> the decision- I mean, it kind of has a good ending question mark. Subjective- oh. Uh, I'm here for you, but I want you to know I'm upset about it. Uh, so this decision resulted in Dunlap being deemed competent to stand trial on July 8th, 1994. Uh, bipolar disorder has a strong hereditary link, and children of a bipolar person have a 14% chance of developing it, where the rest of the population only has a 1-3% to chance if they are not related to someone who has bipolar disorder. Huh. Yeah, which I didn't know that. I thought that was interesting. So, on his mother's side, his grandfather and uncle and his mother have all been diagnosed with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. That'll do it. His mother was even hospitalized multiple times over the course of her life. Um, In 1989, his sister had moved out and a social worker had noticed his antisocial behavior as a child and tried to intervene, and his mother was beginning to wonder if he wasn't showing the signs of the same mental health issues that she was struggling with. In that year, it was determined by a psychiatrist that he was showing signs that he had something akin to bipolar disorder that could likely evolve further without help. Mm -hmm. However, he sent Dunlap home without a diagnosis because at the time, it wasn't believed that kids could have bipolar disorder. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Medical science. Yeah. So even four years later, it was uncommon to look for symptoms in bipolar disorder in kids and teens because it was believed that the symptoms didn't start appearing until they were around 19 or 20 after the brain had fully developed. Okay. Um, Well, (laughs) that's something to know. um, Now, though, there are tests and ways to diagnose younger people, though to increase the success rate of uh, their future with the disorder. So they can find out a lot sooner in somebody's life that they have bipolar disorder, just like autism or depression or OCD, any other mental health issue like this. They Mm -hmm. have come up with ways to determine it a lot earlier so that um, the steps can start being taken then to give them the tools that are needed to survive better and to thrive yeah. versus to waiting until their... they're adults. And now they're having to either relearn or it's just far too late at that point. Yeah. Um, so due to no official diagnosis, there was no precedent to believe that he may have had bipolar disorder. And there was no way to determine if he was in a manic episode at the time of the murders. David Lane, hmm. an attorney who had been an advisor in Dunlop's defense, believed that there was not enough attention given to the mental health angle. He said, quote, yeah, he said, quote, it's really incumbent upon the defense to find a well-qualified doctor that has the credentials to be a credible, to be very credible to people to do a full evaluation and tell the jury the whole story. That didn't happen in Nathan Dunlap's case. um, There was one doctor who was ready to help the defense, psychiatrist Rebecca Barkhorn, who had been engaged by Dunlap's attorneys and had got everything ready, but they just never called her up to the stand. It's almost like they didn't care. Yeah. 
Um, they also didn't give her the full charts from his time in Pueblo. And when she did receive the information, as well as the family history, she said that that would have undeniably changed her evaluation. Initially, she was planning on testifying that he suffered from narcissistic personality disorder. But after seeing everything, she agreed that he definitely suffered from bipolar disorder and has so likely since birth. Wow. God, can you imagine? Yeah. Just like not having anybody to help you for that long. Yeah. Uh, so currently, there are only two men on death row in Colorado, Nathan Dunlap and Sir Mario Owens. Um, Owens got a death sentence for murdering a witness scheduled to testify against a friend of his, and he also killed that witness's fiance. Oh. Um, the state of Colorado has spent over $2 million trying to kill Nathan Dunlap. Dunlap had put what? in... Because he's not been put to death yet. They keep trying and keep bringing up new evidence and keep trying to do new things. And there's just always something that he's able to present to give reasonable doubt to make an argument. Um, So Dunlap had actually put in a plea deal prior to his trial uh, that he would plead guilty to everything, but death had to be taken off of the table. And the state refused because they knew they had such a solid case against him. Yeah. In 2002, the original court granted a request for the re- for the consideration of a reduction of his sentence. And with a new lawyer, the court agreed that his initial counsel had been deficient. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, two of the minor sentences were removed, but he did not win a full retrial, which I really feel like he should have. Yeah, that seems incorrect. <laughs> um, attorney Lane said, quote, at 19, when Colorado first caught a glimpse of Dunlap, they wanted to kill him. But if they had seen yeah. him when he was 10, would they have done anything to help him? End quote. <gasps> Shit. Oh, wait. No, there's more to that quote. Sorry. Would they have done anything to help him? Nathan Dunlap's odds are probably not very good. If justice will be done, somebody should stand up and say, Hey, had this kid's entire mental health picture been adequately presented to the jury... There would have been some kind. There would have been at least one juror who said, "No, given the level of his mental illness, I'm not going to kill this kid." End quote. Yeah. Um, in 2013, he was given a temporary reprieve of his death sentence, which for Colorado is effectively commuting commuting his death sentence to life in prison. So he he did ultimately get the uh, sentencing that he probably deserved. Or mm-hmm. the crimes committed. Um, he's not at risk of being put to death uh, anytime soon, aside from if he gets involved in some violent action in the prison. Mm-hmm. Um, the state is no longer basically pursuing uh, the death penalty for him. Well, that's a plus. Yeah. Um, and uh, Bobby Stevens has talked about how he, um, he also didn't agree with Nathan Dunlop getting the death sentence especially when he looked oh, wow. when he looked back at things later in life and had all the evidence and information that's come out about his mental health and things like that yeah um saying that he didn't he used to agree that the death sentence was appropriate for him um but has since changed his mind given the new evidence and information that's come out about him um and bobby stevens also suffers from an incredible amount of survivor's guilt Oh, I'm sure. Um, to the point, one of the things he said is, like, he's had to uh, leave restaurants when they turn the vacuums on. 
um, oh, no. to clean up anything and things like that. Um, yeah. You can't do like like birthday parties out places, like kids' birthday parties and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that it just it immediately triggers his PTSD, which is very understandable. Yeah. Um, also, in light of Casey's uh, joke toward the beginning of the episode, if anyone was wondering, yes, this is loosely the inspiration for Five Nights at Freddy's. Oh, God. I'm um, so sorry I made that joke. But, um, oh, I took it out, but I was going to say, the part about the death sentence, um, if you have any desire to know the darker side of the death penalty or have information in your back pocket for people who are really pro the death penalty and don't see any issue with it, one of the, the best ways I have seen it presented in a very digestible form is through John Oliver's show. Um, he did one of his special segments about uh, the death penalty and and what it is and how it's done and what happens when it doesn't go right and how often it actually doesn't go right and yeah. uh, different things like that. So it's not, I mean, he makes it as digestible as it can be, but you're still talking about people who are dying, being put to death in inhumane ways. So it's, it's mm. not an easy listen. Um and if you have any curiosity about how Five Nights at Freddy's ties in to this case, uh, I would suggest the game theorist, um, Matt Pat, has done an extensive list of every Five Nights at Freddy's game, and one of his first ones is actually about the connections and the similarities, how there are um, five animatronics, five dead kids, and then there are five people who were attacked for which died here um one of the like one room you can't see in is the bathroom which is where he hid um before killing everybody and there's just there's a lot of connections all of it happens after a birthday party um so there's more of it than just oh there was violent crimes committed in Chuck E. Cheese and we're gonna put animatron scary animatronics in this game because of that there's actually things that tie the two together. Um, so if you like Easter eggy stuff like that, um, I feel I feel videos. conflicted about something like that. Yeah, like is that you've used this crime now to inspire your what multi million dollar franchise? Well, he wasn't what are you exactly doing with that expecting money? it to be a multi million dollar franchise either. Right, but now that it is, what are you doing with that? I don't know. Do you have a responsibility at that point to do something about that? I mean, if you're asking victim me, funds or then yeah, yeah. I mean, I would, I would definitely say here, Bobby Stevens here, you know, families, Margaret, of... Margaret's kids here, Ben's mom, you know. Yep. Just I don't know that. As soon as you said that, I was like, I don't know if I like that. Yeah, and it, it treads that line on on uh, what makes what content is okay to be turned into a book or a movie or a, you know, comic book, you know, My Friend Dahmer. It's a graphic novel written by somebody who knew Jeffrey Dahmer. Who knew Dahmer, yeah. um, From Hell about Jack the Ripper, which granted that's so far back in time that it's not like anybody alive today was there for it. So there's some some wiggle room on that one. But, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, there's so many things that are inspired by Charles and the Manson family cult. There's so many games and movies and books and stuff that follow similar um cult trajectories as like heaven's gate 
or um, Jim Jones or things like that, Waco, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it really is, there's a definitely a line on um, how it's handled and how directly, I think, yeah. that it's drawn from. And this feels more like a idea of, um, like, like Stephen King in The Shining, when he stayed in this hotel and they saw some creepy stuff and then his mind just went wild with it, mm-hmm. where it was sort of more like, um, I think it's Jim Cawthon is the creator of Finance and Freddy's, maybe Steve. Um, but he, it, it feels like he heard about this case. To me, it feels like he heard about this case and then he was like, oh, a Chuck E. Cheese would be such a scary place to set a horror game. And then yeah. because of that, because of the connection where the inspiration came from, he was then saying, feeling like, let me put in some things from the case. But it's not like any of the people's names are used. It's not like it is ever shown to be real people, at least until later games and their kids. He definitely diverges from the original crime that sort of loosely inspired the game and now movie. Yeah. Well, still, that's how I feel about that. Yeah. No, I don't disagree that I think I think if I were in the same position as him and I got this huge windfall, I would feel obligated to make sure that the people, if anybody worked on the game with me, got their their part for their help and then yeah, if it was inspired, especially from something like this, I would feel obligated yeah. to, or even if I didn't give to to set up a scholarship fund or to do something for you know in the name and memory of the victims, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Even if it wasn't directly to the families or talk to or the like, families and see, you know, this is a this is a thing I would like to do. Are you guys okay with that? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Well. With that, uh, thanks for joining us today as we talked about a very violent act committed at a pizzeria. No mice involved. And now we want to hear from you. Send your stories, your questions, and your feedback to strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com. If you're sending a listener story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so that we can sort through those a little more easily. Uh, have you had a bad experience at a Chuck E. Cheese? Did you? Tell us. Did your town have a weird off-brand Chuck E. Cheese where it was like, you know, like schmucky knees and it was like a raccoon instead? Tell us about it. That's terrifying and I hate that. Sorry. No matter what animal I pick, it's going to be terrifying for you. Because you know, it's funny. Junk. I don't, I might have mentioned this before, but when we went to the Ren Fair and there were a couple fursuits walking around, my lovely husband and my friend Kara were both like, don't turn around. <laughs> I was like, okay. You told me. I don't know that you said anything about it on the podcast. <laughs> I was, I was, and I was not, I'm not the kind of person that when somebody says, don't turn around, I immediately turn around. I took that very seriously. I mean, <laughs> like, I think it comes down to who's telling me to do it, you know? If I told you not to turn around, what would you do? I probably wouldn't turn around. Like, if it's somebody that I trust, I'm probably not going to turn around. If it's someone that I'm suspicious of, I'm definitely going to turn around. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> You're very brave to trust me. <laughs> um, you can also find us on Instagram and threads at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast or our personal accounts at Royal Rampage and Calamity Casey. You can find us on X at underscore strange unusual at Calamity Casey and at Royal Rampage. We're also on Facebook. Just search for the Strange Unusual podcast. Look for our logo. 
Um, I stream on Twitch at twitch.tv slash rampage. I'm also streaming on Kick at the same name. And I'm uploading my VODs onto YouTube when I remember to. Um, also same name. Same name, same place, same profile picture for most of them. Um, and like I said, if you'd like, you can join us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash strangeunusual, where we have, um, polls for episodes like this that get voted on. Uh, sometimes they're more specific than others. This time I just picked, like, four punny food-related situations. Um, and then you vote on them, and, uh, whoever's turn on the podcast wheel it is, um, will do an episode related to the selected topic. Um, there's also access to our Discord, where you guys can then get upset when your topic didn't win. <laughs> yep. Especially when it didn't win, and didn't win, and didn't win. I'm so sorry, Dana. You finally won. Dana, Dana finally got a win. <laughs> um, but we understand right now that times are tough, and shit's expensive, like how I'm fucking moving. I know how bills stack up like crazy um so if you can't support us financially we totally understand we just ask you like share subscribe rate review all that kind of stuff um it helps us get to more people and more listens which helps us just algorithms blah 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 tech stuff you know you know the drill you know the things um Mm -hmm. but yeah it helps and we like it we like hearing from you guys, and if you give us a five-star review somewhere where I can see your review, which as far as I know is only Apple Podcasts, then we will read it on air, even if it's mean. Can't believe Casey made that really tasteless joke. Five stars. I, I can't believe that Roya just plummeted us into murder. <laughs> Very suddenly. Yep. Five stars. Yep. That That is true. You really did. Well, it's not an easy way to be like, and then I started blasting super fair no matter what you do and, that's gonna be a hard uh, hard intro yeah anyway uh we are taking a short hiatus while roya is moving yeah i feel like this probably should have been at the top of the episode so i don't know if you want to move it around <laughs> uh we'll be taking a couple weeks off we'll keep you updated on our social media to let you know when we will be back i'm imagining two weeks probably um hopefully be back in time for the holidays but we might just be taking uh, December off, um, depending on what it looks like for us coming up here. Uh, moving is rough, guys. So yeah. give us a little little patience. Um, and holidays are rough, so we'll see how it how it turns out. But that said, have a lovely day. Yeah. Free Palestine. Free Palestine. Have a good holiday. Eat lots of food. Talk to your family about colonialism. Yeah, definitely do that. Donate to an indigenous charity. I actually just bought some beaded earrings. For myself while I was my uh my non consumerism uh Christmas is going to be I bought basically everything except for my husband's gift off uh off Etsy. Oh. So everybody's getting something either handmade by me, handmade by the internet, but I'm not doing any bulk buying really. Yeah, that so. makes sense. Yeah. Where was I going with that? I don't know. Free Palestine. <laughs> back back to free pa- <laughs> back to the thing that matters. <laughs> All right. Uh, Bye. Bye.